You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello and welcome back to Attaboy Clarence. Birthdays are in the air, it seems. Some biggies too. Olivia de Havilland is, of course, the grand old age of 101 years old and still doesn't look it, God bless her. Her birthday celebrations come on the heels of the announcement that she is to sue FX and Ryan Murphy over her portrayal in their hit TV series Feud. Apparently she isn't very happy over the way she's been portrayed. She does not like the fact that she has been made to look like a gossip monger. Plus they didn't even approach her to ask permission to feature her as a character, which is pretty scandalous really. Good luck to you, Mr. Havilland, and if I were FX or Ryan Murphy, I'd be pretty worried. Mr. Havilland has a pretty fearsome reputation as a winner of big-name lawsuits. She took down Warner Brothers once and changed the entertainment industry forever. Other July birthdays of big golden age names include George Sanders, Charles Lawton, Ginger Rogers, Barbara Stanwyck, James Whale, Peter Laurie, Clara Bow, and William Powell. But of course, the biggest one is on the 17th, the birthday of James Francis Cagney. I always raise a drink to Mr. Cagney on the 17th because it is, of course, my birthday as well. So that'll be one hell of a shindig. I know you're all probably racking your brains right now to try and think of a suitably expensive present to buy for me. Well, let me just set your mind at rest. Instead of a set of Cartier cufflinks or that first edition of The Wind in the Willows, why don't you just skip on over to the iTunes store and leave a review? Doesn't cost anything worth an absolute fortune job done. My thanks to you. Coming up in the show today, I have a very unusual musical treat for you. I'm actually doing that speech marks thing with my fingers when I say the word treat. Also, I'll be announcing the winner of the James Cagney competition, plus reviews of three classic movies, the first of which is Travelling Sales Lady from 1935, which stars Joan Blondell, Glenda Farrell, Hugh Herbert, and William Gargan. Listen, Murdoch. This morning, there wasn't a drop of Twitchell's toothpaste in my bathroom. Not a speck, not an iota. Yes, Mr. Twitchell? In my wife's bathroom, I found some toothpaste. And what brand do you think it was? I don't know, Mr. Twitchell. It was Schmidt's Clean White. A cheap, inferior product manufactured by an unscrupulous rival. Sorry, Mr. Twitchell. Send a hundred cartons of Twitchell's to my house right away. Yes, Mr. Twitchell, at once. The story here is of the Twitchell's Toothpaste Company, which is steadily losing its market share to the Schmidt's Toothpaste Company. Twitchell's daughter, Angela, played by Joan Blondell, is convinced that she can rescue her father's millions if he'll just give her a chance to get out on the road and sell, sell, sell. But her father is a bit of a sexist and says that women have no place in business. Do we have to go into all that again? Yes, we do. I want a job in your plant. 
What could you possibly do? Anything, I don't care. Filling toothpaste tubes, mixing the goo you make it out of, keeping books, selling things, anything. Very commendable of you, my dear, I'm sure. But you are a woman. In my many years of experience... Certainly I'm a woman. Isn't Secretary of Labor of the United States a woman? What's the matter with women? They know nothing about business. They are unstable, unreliable. I'm not, and I'll prove it. It just so happens that at his office, Angela bumps into an inventor named Elmer who's come up with a wonderful new invention. Booze-flavoured toothpaste. Yeah, yeah, try, try, try that. Don't be afraid of it, won't hurt you. Scotch. Good scotch, too. You haven't tasted anything yet. Now, try that. Martini. I got thousands of gallons of fine synthetic flavors all tied up on the counter repeal. I could only see your old man. But my father's not in the liquor business. But you brush your teeth, don't you? Certainly. Yeah. Do you like the taste of disinfectants? No. no. How'd you like to brush your teeth with a nice flavor of a martini or vermouth or a Manhattan instead of a, of a disinfectant or creosote or carbolic? You mean my father's toothpaste should be flavored with your extracts? Exactly. Why, well, I think that's a marvelous idea. Well, I wish your old man had half the brains that you've got. You've got something here, and I'll make my father think so if it's the last thing I do. Oh, fine, thanks. Seizing on the opportunity, Angela spirits Elmer over to Schmidt's toothpaste and lands herself a job as their newest traveling sales lady. In just a few weeks, Schmidt's new booze-flavored toothpaste has become the biggest sensation in the land. In response, Twitchell sends out his best salesman, Pat O'Connor, to outsell Schmidt's new sales lady. But what will happen when the pair of them fall in love? This is a film that crackles right from the opening. Within 10 minutes, we are in serious battle of the sexist territory, with all of the salesmen in the film getting their asses handed to them by the sales ladies. For every dirty trick or scoop that Pat O'Connor tries to pull on Angela, she pulls one back or twists O'Connor's scheme against him. It is a delightful film to watch. Very funny, very witty, very fast-paced. You need to keep your eyes open or you will miss lots of things. Joan Blondell is absolutely note-perfect in this, as is Hugh Herbert, which I thought I'd never say. I'm not usually a fan of his, but he is great in this. It's often billed as a Joan Blondell-Glenda Farrell-star vehicle. But I have to say that this is slightly misleading. Glenda Farrell isn't actually in the film that much. She pops up briefly in the first half and then shows up again towards the end. Don't go expecting one of their best pairings. However, when she does roll up her sleeves and get stuck in with Blondell, it really does take off. So, what do you mean by dining with my fiancé? Your what? My fiancé. We're engaged, didn't you tell her? What's the idea of coming in here like this? How long have you been engaged? What? Oh, for a long time. So you've been what? two-timing on me, huh? After all that toothpaste I bought from you. Well, I'm through with men from now on. So am I. They're not to what? be trusted. Let's get out of here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But Why... One of Warner's lost and lamented movies is Convention City, which tells the debauched tale of a rubber company whose staff convention turns into a sex fest. That film is lost, as I say, but Traveling Sales Lady is often compared to Convention City, albeit in lesser terms. Still, if this film gives us a flavor of what Convention City might be like, then I hope it turns up one day. As I say, very sparkling, very charming, very funny film that shows off the best of Joan Blondell. Do check it out. Well, seeing as how we're in 1935, why don't we listen to the most popular song from that year? This is Fred Astaire and Cheek to Cheek. Heaven, I'm in heaven 
that was Fred Astaire with Cheek to Cheek. Utterly gorgeous. Well, before I continue on, I must just say a very warm hello to Mr. Clayton Hickman, Doctor Who expert and enthusiast to whom I promised a very special Canterbury. Here you are then, sir. Your very own ex-Canterbury. Impossible. Big hello also to Mr. Matt Strevens, who is kind enough to drop me a line from time to time. Matt is one of the creative geniuses behind the upcoming new series of Doctor Who with its new team and, of course, its new Doctor. Very exciting times. Best of luck to you, Matt. 
Well, seeing as how we're on a Doctor Who theme all of a sudden, do let me tell you about another movie called Murder at the Windmill from 1949, starring Gary Marsh, Jack Livesey, Jimmy Edwards, and the Doctor himself, Mr. John Pertwee. Uh, if you'll permit me to say so, sir, a new slaying has just been reported. Oh, the Kennedy Hamlet. Uh, Mr. Kennedy is already on the Edgware Road slaying, sir. Oh, don't keep using that word slaying. You sound like a cheap American gangster book. If you'll permit me to say so, sir, the word slaying is not an American term. It comes from the Anglo-Saxon word slain and the German word schlagen, meaning to strike. Now, the Oxford Dictionary tells us... Sergeant, me, where did it happen? The Windmill Theatre, sir. The Windmill Theatre? Oh, get the squad car and come with me. And see you behave yourself. Otherwise, it'll be another slaying or slagen. Schlagen? So, during the performance of a variety show at the Windmill Theatre, one of the front row guests is shot. A detective inspector played by Gary Marsh and his long-suffering detective sergeant, played by John Pertwee, arrive to investigate. That is all there is in terms of plot, because what happens is that the detective inspector soon comes to realise that the victim was shot from the stage. Therefore, the only way that he can figure out just what happened is to have the cast and the performers reenact the entire variety show from the beginning so that he can look for possible opportunities within the production from where the killer may have struck. So, yes, you guessed it. We are treated to the sight of 70 minutes of a British stage variety show from 1949. Cue the dancers, the songs, the sketches, and a seriously god-awful comedy routine from Jimmy Edwards. I'm using the quotey fingers again. I was driving my small eight-horsepower car down Wimbledon High Street the other day when my brother, who's sitting beside me, suddenly turned to me and said, uh, Edwards? Very formal in our family, you see. We use the surname. That happens to be my name. You obviously couldn't care less, but there it is. Anyway, he said, uh, Edwards, uh, just for a thrill, why don't you try driving the vehicle, he meant the car, uh, between the trams instead of going on either side of them, you see? Well, I always was one for a dicey do, so I had a bash at it. So, if any of you'd like to buy a tall, thin, eight-horse-powered car around the back here, Usually, in a low-rent B-movie mystery, the relief comes when the action doesn't focus on the very thin mystery and focuses instead on the supporting characters. Just look at the Charlie Chan series if you want proof of that concept. Here, however, the relief comes when we stop looking at the stage and get back to the murder and to the people investigating it, because that is where the film shines. There are some seriously funny lines of dialogue in this thing. I wonder if you take this bullet back to the yard. Yes, sir. Give it to ballistics. Yes, sir. Say, I want to report on it right away. Yes, sir. Ballistics. And ballistics to you. You're the one he gave it to. And all the good banter comes from the sergeant and the inspector. A male corpse found in the front row of the stalls. He'd been shot. They don't exactly say so, sir, but I imagine it was with a gun of some sort. You imagine? Yes. Well, what else could he have been shot with? A blowpipe, sir. A blowpipe? Well, it has happened, you know, sir. Poisoned dart. The ending is very, very weak. The solution is appalling, and the god-awful song and dance numbers will numb your mind. But somewhere in the 70-minute running time, there is a very good 10-minute murder mystery. A buzzer took a monkey for a ride in the air. The monkey thought that everything was on the square. The buzzer tried to throw the monkey off his back, but the monkey grabbed his neck and said, Now listen, Jack. Straighten up and fly right. Straighten up and fly right. 
Straighten up and fly right. Cool down, Papa, don't you blow your top. Ain't no use in diving. What's the use of jiving? Straighten up and fly right. Cool down, Papa, don't you blow your top. The buzzer told the monkey you were choking me. Release your hold and I will set you free. The monkey looked the buzzer right dead in the eye and said, Your story's so touching, but it sounds just like a lie. Straighten up and fly right. Straighten up and stay right. Straighten up and fly right. Cool down, Papa, don't you blow your top. And that was Nat King Cole with Straighten Up and Fly Right. Wonderful. So earlier I played a Fred Astaire song for you. Coincidentally, I watched his very first movie appearance this week in The Delightful Dancing Lady from 1933, starring Joan Crawford, Clark Gable, Fred Astaire, Francho Tone, Robert Benchley and the Three Stooges. It is quite a cast, isn't it? You like to dance, eh? Oh, I love it. Well, it's good you do. You may be a natural, you may be a flop. Yeah. You can't ever tell. Takes years and years of hard work. Oh, I'm not afraid of work. Takes guts and brains. Yeah, I know. And after you've given everything, maybe something will come of it. Maybe nothing. Something's got to come of it. Well, I suppose if you feel you got it, you got it. Yeah. You like to dance? More than anything in the world. You want to work with me? Yes, Mr. Gilbert. Jake. Yes, sir. Now beat it. Thank you. This is the story of Janie Barlow, played by Joan Crawford, a dancer who will do anything to make it in the big time, including taking her clothes off. She's discovered working in a strip show by wealthy playboy Todd Newton, played by Francho Tone, who tries to win her heart by arranging a role for her in a Broadway musical being directed by the very grumpy Patch Gallagher, played by Clark Gable. Oh, it's you. I might have known wherever there's anything private, I'd find you around. I just sneaked up to get the workout. What's the matter? The one at the party last night wasn't so good, huh? You're so interested in our private affairs, why don't you come and see? I don't mix business with pleasure. Well, it'd be a pleasure to me if you'd mind your own business. Yeah, say, listen. It's my business to see that you gals keep your shapes. Duchess. Of course, we can see pretty early on what's going to happen. Patch and Janie strike up a fiery kind of friendship, which quickly turns to more. This doesn't impress Todd, though, who had his heart set on marrying Janie once she'd gotten this dancing out of her system. 
When it becomes clear that dancing and Patch mean more to Janie than Todd ever will, Todd uses his influence to have the show closed, but can a last-minute plan by Janie, Patch, and their stars, including Fred Astaire, save the show? What do you think? Do you uh, feel like going through that opening number with Mr. Astaire? All right. Ready? Yes, Patch. Show Miss Barlow the routine on that opening number, will you? I'd love to. Good evening, Mr. All right, Barlow. Barlow. Get him in the right. Do you know the routine? The I've seen number. it often oh. enough. I'll try. Oh, that's fine. Oh, Harry, give us the pickup on that gang number, will you please? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I full-on wasn't expecting to enjoy this film as much as I did, and I assumed that because it was Fred Astaire's first role that his screen time would be rather limited. I was wrong on all counts. This is a very fast-paced, very dramatic little showpiece with everyone turning out some wonderful performances. Clark Gable is very gruff, very darkly sexy as always. Joan Crawford, who I've never really seen in a straight-up musical, really impressed me. Her dancing in particular is superb. She has a few numbers with Fred Astaire and she definitely keeps her end up. Fred Astaire plays himself in this. He was a very famous stage performer before he landed in movies, and he's hired by Patch Gallagher as the show's leading man. So this is a really nice bridge between his stage career and his movie career. They all refer to him as Mr. Astaire, and he gets some great routines. There's a climactic number where he and Joan Crawford dance on a flying carpet, which is very nicely done. The Three Stooges as well get a couple of nice sketches. All the face slapping and the eye poking is here, and thankfully, they're not overused. Plot-wise, it plays strictly to formula. It will probably not surprise you in terms of resolution, but let's face it, when you watch a film from this period, you just want to be entertained. And with such a great cast, and with such a great dilemma on show, and with such glamorous surroundings, how could you be disappointed? Check out 1933's Dancing Lady. It is brilliant. Well, staying on the unofficial Fred Astaire theme of today, let's trip on over to the Screen Director's Playhouse for one of his radio appearances. This is an adaptation of one of his biggest hits outside of the Ginger Rogers movies, 1943's The Sky's the Limit, which sees Fred playing an ace pilot on leave who falls in love with a newspaper reporter. So relax back for a slice of good-natured romance and music with the one and only Mr. Fred Astaire in The Sky's the Limit. I'll see you afterwards. Screen director's assignment, production, The Sky's the Limit, director, Edward H. Griffith, star, Fred Astaire. screen directors present a romantic incident with incidental music. For the first time on the air, The Sky's the Limit, starring Fred Astaire in his original role, and introducing the director of the film, Edward H. Griffith. Some 24 years devoted to the creation of films have convinced tonight's guest screen director of one cardinal truth, that you can't create what you don't feel. Thus, in his mind, screen directing and the seeking of adventure have become synonymous. From the Arctic to the tropics, he has searched out a wealth of experience in order to bring a distinctive quality of realism to such films as Holiday, Animal Kingdom, Cafe Metropole, and Bahama Passage. Ladies and gentlemen, the director of The Sky's the Limit, Mr. Edward H. Griffith. 
Thank you. It was only a few years ago that a new kind of motion picture literature came to our screen. The story of the war was being told, and the sky's the limit told part of it from a unique vantage point. Not from a battlefield overseas, but from a furlough in New York. Today, there's a surprising, nostalgic appeal to this story of romance on the edge of the unknown. A story told as it was lived so many times with a chuckle, an offhand gesture. Now here it is, The Sky's the Limit, starring Fred Astaire as Jerry Burton. You gentlemen care for another drink? Bourbon and soda here. Reg, what about you? Uh, no, nothing. Thanks, Jerry. Excited, huh? <laughs> you said it. Last week, I was a million miles away from Peggy, and now... Now you're gonna have a wife again. For a little while, she's gonna have a husband. <laughs> it's a funny war. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny war, all right. Last week, you and Reg were flying thunderbolts over Germany. Tonight, you're in civilian clothes, sitting at the bar of the Colonial Club in New York, and it feels great. They'd sent you home for one of those public relations tours. Now the speeches are over, you have seven days leave, and you've made up your mind to do nothing but have a little fun pretending you're a civilian. And forget your captain, Jerry Burton. Come on, Jerry. Peggy's train's due in half an hour. She and I, <laughs> we don't have much time. You watch Reg's face. You add everything up, and in a way, you're glad you're lonely. You're glad nobody's going to be waiting for you when you go back. Gosh, Jerry, I don't want to be late for that train. <sighs> you go ahead, Reg, old boy. Have a good lead. No more reporters, no more interviews. What about you? <laughs> Me? Oh, I'm strictly for laughs. I think I'll spend the week being a civilian. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to get into civvies myself. Maybe I'll plan a sleeping bag under the barn and set up light housekeeping. How's that? <laughs> Big time, huh? Yeah, go on, beat it, kid. And give my regards to Peg. Okay, see you next week, Jerry. So long. Reg walks out, and that neat gray business suit you've got on feels kind of strange. Then you look down the barn, and you see a girl. She's the most beautiful girl you've ever seen. Just like that, you know exactly how you're gonna spend your leave. Another drink, sir? No, no, that, that girl at the end of the bar. You know her name? Oh, sure, Jean Mannion. She's a photographer. Who, who's the fellow she's talking to? Phil Harriman. Nice guy, he's her boss. He publishes Eyeful. She certainly is. No, I mean that high-class picture magazine. She's gonna take pictures here tonight. Thanks. They seem to be arguing. Maybe they need a referee. <laughs> Gene, I love you, but please let me run my magazine my own way. The whole world is exploding, Phil. Why can't I go to Russia or China instead of photographing stupid nightclub celebrities? Oh, miss, would you be interested in taking my picture? Who are you? I'm directly descended from the guy who ate the first oyster. Uh, I see the resemblance. Go away. <laughs> Look, Phil, why not give me a chance to go overseas? Gene, I like you here. I, I don't want you traipsing all over the world like... Uh, like a three-legged like, antelope. Like a three-legged antelope. Uh, hey, 
That doesn't make sense. That's what you get for eavesdropping. Oh, that man is impossible. Hand me my camera, Phil. I'm going to work. Now, that's what I call a fascinating girl. Yeah, she sure is. She makes me tingle all over. Hey, do I know you? No, but don't, don't apologize. I've got news for you. I think we're going to have something in common. Indeed. What? I'm beginning to tingle, too. Hold it, please, Mrs. Kraft. Thank you. Hello there. Oh, it's you again. Exciting, isn't it? Just what do you want, Mr. Uh, whatever your name is? Jer Jerry Burton. Burton's the name. It's this way. There I was, minding my own business, easing my way through a bourbon and soda, when suddenly I looked up... I'm terribly busy, Mr. Burton. And there you were. There you stood, Jean, the most beautiful, the most enchanting, the most, the most desirable, the most fascinating woman I'd ever seen in all my life. <laughs> Pardon me, but your adjectives are showing. <laughs> all I said to myself was, Jerry... You're in love. That's fine. Now, if you'll pardon me... You, you mean you're not going to dance with me? I most certainly am not. Stop dragging Shh, don't me. Don't make a scene. You dance divinely. Uh, you know, you interest me. Oh, I'm just a little thing my mother dreamed up. <laughs> I mean purely in a psychological way. I was afraid of that. Well, if I never see you again, this will be my shining hour. Calm and happy and bright In my dreams your face will flower Through the darkness of the night Say, who are you anyway? Oh, let's, let's say I kind of dropped in from the clouds oh, I bet they miss you up there I'll be going back But right now I'm going to take you home I still don't know why I'm letting you walk me home. Mm, just one of those things. Why do owls stay up late? Who knows why? I... Hey, look. I found a penny. Here, put it in your shoe. <laughs> For luck. Yeah, maybe you need it. Uh-uh. I, I couldn't be luckier than I am right now, here with you. But you don't even know me. In my business, you get to know people fast. What is your business, anyway? Oh, just... Drifting around. Uh, you know something? There's a war going on. Did you ever think about just drifting into that? Yeah, I've thought about it. Just not interested? Not right now. <laughs> really? Don't you even have a job? Not at the moment. Mm. Well, I suggest you find one. Okay, maybe I'll get a job, honey, just for you. What are you doing tomorrow? Photographing a construction job. Oh, where? 56th and 3rd Avenue. Well, this is where I live. Oh, very nice. Oh, thanks for the penny. Money means nothing to me. <laughs> Good night, Jerry. Good night, Jean. Wow. A girl like that at a time like this. Well, what do you know?
move the jackhammer a little to the left. That's fine. There, good picture. Many thanks. Hey, lady, how about me? Do you think this shovel matches my eyes? <clears throat> you working? You made me what I am today. Oh, I take back everything I said about you. Hey, buddy, you're looking for a job. Why, uh, um, oh, 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 yeah, you're sure, sure. Just a minute. Isn't this man working for you? No. Why, you phony. I'm, I'm working. Do I have to get paid for it? Yes, you do. That your wife, buddy? Yeah, listen, Pop, come here. I'm out of work, see? She's driving me crazy, follows me around. Lady, that ain't no way to be. Can you keep out of this? Buddy, if my wife done this, I'd bust her right in the nose. But you see, I can't because she... It's, 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 That sometimes makes them kind of temporary screwballs. Oh, so now I'm screwballs. Lady, these things happen every day. Oh, of all the arrogant insults. Uh-oh, there she goes. Uh, hey, Pop, here's your shovel. Gene, Gene. There's still nothing like a good bust in the nose. Gene. Gene. Seriously, are you crazy? If I am, it's your fault. Oh, Jerry, why don't you come back to Earth? I will, someday. Today, ever work for a publishing firm? Oh, there you go again. Work, work, yeah. I've hacked around a few newspapers. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Why? I want you to see the man I work for, Phil Harriman. I'll speak to him about a job. On one condition. What's that? Dine with me tonight. You promise you'll go to work? I promise. <laughs> Good night, Jerry. It's been a wonderful evening. Jean, do you mind if I ask you a question? No. Uh, how come you never married your boss? Why do Al stay up late? <laughs> I don't know. Well, he's in love with you. Even I could see that last night. Oh, Phil's awfully nice, but not the right man, I guess. What's he like? The right man? Oh, Wordsworth put it pretty well. How? A creature not too bright or good for human nature's daily food. For transient sorrows, simple wiles, praise, blame, love, kisses, tears, and smiles. Jean, there's something you ought to know. I'm not... Oh, Jerry, look, don't tell me what you're not. Tell me what you are. A guy with you in his eyes. That's all. Oh, Jerry. Jean. I think I'd better go in. I wish you wouldn't. You won't forget about tomorrow. I won't forget. What's tomorrow? Well, you're going to ask Phil for a job. Oh, oh that, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Good night, baby. Ride a pink cloud back to the Colonial Club for a nightcap. Just a quiet drink and a lot of thinking. More thinking than you ever dreamed you were capable of. Then all of a sudden, Reg pops in and the cloud explodes. That's right, Jerry. Now, leave's canceled. Mm. I figured you'd come back here sooner or later. How long have we got? We're flying back day after tomorrow. 
But well, why? What's the rush? They say there's a big fighter sweep on. We've oh. lost a lot of planes. They want us back. Well, that's it. That does it. Hey, where are you going? For a little walk. I got a few things I want to think about. listening to the Hollywood Screen Director's presentation of The Sky's the Limit, starring Fred Astaire with Sharon Douglas and introduced by the director of the film, Edward H. Griffith. your word you came to the office. Jean, I, look, I, I want to tell you something. Look, darling, don't get cold feet now. This is your big chance. I told Phil all about you. But Jean, you, you don't understand. Oh, now you come with me. Here's Phil's office. You can go right in. Jean, can't we, uh, will you listen to me for a minute, please? No, I, darling, and here's something for luck. Oh, say, it's, it's the lucky penny. Uh, in case that doesn't work, here's something else for luck. I, oh. okay, Jean. We'll do it your way. I'll be waiting. Huh? Oh, hi. I remember you. You're Burton, the fellow Gene's been talking about. <clears throat> Jerry's the name. I'm Phil, Jerry. Sit down. Thanks. Now, uh, frankly, Jerry, are you serious about a job? Frankly, Phil, no. <laughs> well, that's that. Uh, you, uh... You don't play gin rummy, do you? Oh, a little bit. Well, I, I just happen to have a deck of cards on my desk. Is this the way you treat everybody who walks in here? Oh, just the people I like. I'll deal. Go ahead. Mind if I talk while we play? About what? You. I, I've heard a lot about you. Through Miss Mannion, of course. Uh, you want that card? No. Uh, you don't want to talk about me. You want to talk about Jean? You sure like to toss off those low ones, don't you? Well, I play a rather unorthodox game. So do I. Tell me something. Why don't you marry Jean? What? You wouldn't be in love with her yourself, would you? We're not talking about me. You want this queen? Uh, no. Go on. Sure, I like Jean. I, I, I liked a lot of girls. But you don't want to marry, huh? Live alone in Wolfert. Yeah. Yeah, when I, when I do marry, it'll, it'll be someone like... Well, like uh, a creature not too bright or good for human nature's daily food, for transient sorrows, simple wiles, praise, blame, love, kisses, tears, and smiles. Yeah, kisses, tears. Hey, that's very good. Wordsworth, isn't it? Yeah, that, that belongs to the, to the one girl I'll never forget. Say, what's the name of this game? Uh, gin. That's just what I've got. Thanks, Phil. I win. <clears throat> So long, Phil. See you around. Jerry. Jerry, did you get the job? Here's your lucky penny. Did it work? No, neither do I. Did, didn't Phil want to take you on? I didn't want to go on. But, Jerry, you promised. I changed my mind. You know how it is. Sure, I know. All right, Mr. Fun and Games. We both made a mistake. 
throw me out of your office? No, Phil, I'm glad you came in. Uh, Jean, this Burton fellow, he, he was the big thing, wasn't he? Why don't you tell me what a sap I was? I'll tell you what a sap you can still be. Marry me, Jean. Really, Phil? Well, you see, Jean, I, I need somebody like you. Um, a creature not too bright. What? Well, you didn't let me finish. <laughs> a creature not, not too bright or good for... Uh, for... For human nature's daily food. Uh, who told you? I told Jerry. You told... Then you're the girl, the one he'll never forget. He said that? Oh, somehow I'm beginning to suspect I've botched this thing, but good. Oh, but you haven't, Phil. If Jerry said that, it means he... he... What does it mean? Don't worry, honey. Just leave everything to your Uncle Phil. Another bourbon straight. Coming up. Hey, bartender. Yeah? If I should die, think only this of me, that there's some corner of a foreign field that is forever the Colonial Club. Colonial Club? Yeah. Hi, Jerry. Oh. Well, hello, Phil. Kind of figured I'd find you here. Nice figuring. Any special reason? Oh, I like your style of gin rummy. <laughs> Brought the cards. Deal them. Uh, mind if I talk while we play? About what? You. I've heard a lot about you. Through Miss Manning, of course. Want that card? Yep, I'll take it. I think I understand what happened. What's the difference? You're afraid of being in love, aren't you? You play a lousy game of gin. <laughs> well, I'm improving, Captain Burton. How'd you find out about me? Oh, heroes have a way of getting their pictures into the newspaper. I know, hero. That's yeah, stuff. yeah. Uh, want that card? No. Does Jean know the truth? No. Do me a favor, Phil. What? Don't tell her. Well, suppose she loves you. Come on, play your cards. Look, I want to see her happy. Well, so do I. Want to make a deal? What kind? You beat me once at this game. I don't think you can do it again. And if I don't? If you don't, I tell Jean the truth. You're on. Pull a card. Right. Uh, I'll try a knock with two. Uh-uh. That's not good enough. I've got one. Oh, looks like I'm blitzed. Yep, I'm a lucky guy. What about Jean? She'll forget it. Will you? Look, I'm not really living. I'm just walking a tightrope between here and there, see? I want to walk it alone, nobody to break the fall. For a while, somebody almost got hurt. Now it's fixed and it's swell and... Is it? And, Oh, do me a favor, Phil. Marry her, will you? Can I give you a lift? No, I'm, I'm going to stick around a while. Thanks. Good luck. So long. Hey, bartender. Yeah? Leave the bottle on the bar and give me a fistful of change for the jukebox. Sure. Thanks.
Hey, Mac, come on. We're going to close up. Let me have some more change. Okay. But it's late. This is the last time. It's late. Last time. Right. It's quarter to three. There's no one in the place except you and me. So set em up, Joe. I've got a little story you ought to know. We're drinking, my friend, to the end of a brief episode. Make it one for my baby and one more for the road. I got the routine, so drop another nickel in the machine. I'm feeling so bad, I wish you'd make the music dreamy and sad. Could tell you a lot, but that's not in a gentleman's code. Make it one for my baby. And one more for the road You'd never know it But, buddy, I'm a kind of poet And I got a lot of things to say And when I'm gloomy You simply gotta listen to me Until it's talked away Well, that's how it goes And, Joe, I know you're getting anxious to close Oh, thanks for the beer I hope you didn't mind my bending your ear Don't let it be said Little Jerry can't carry his load Make it one for my baby And one more for the road That long, long see me, Phil? Uh, yes. Jean, uh, are you sure you don't want to marry me? Oh, Phil, please. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, in that case, I might as well be noble about this. I've got an assignment for you. Oh, a good one? You know those fighter pilots who were sent back home, the ones the papers made such a fuss over? I read about them. Well, they're going back overseas today, so grab your camera and get out to LaGuardia. Right. Is there anything else I should know? Yes. Your boss is a half-baked idiot. Now move fast. You haven't got much time. It's been a great leave. Just great. You're walking across the tarmac toward the waiting transport plane. Your stomach feels like a pretzel doing a loop and there's something else there. Loneliness. Loneliness so bad, you wish you were a kid again so you could cry. And then somebody's yelling at you. And... Captain, uh, my magazine would like a 
few pictures, would you mind? I've had enough pictures. Oh, I... it'll only take a minute. Jerry. Jean, what? Can't be you. Oh, say it again. I think I'm dreaming. But you are. Oh, darling. So Phil told you. No, no, he just sent me to cover the story. I didn't know. Well, I wanted to tell you, but... Why didn't you? Why didn't uh, you? A guy like me, it's no good. A guy like you? A girl like me? Oh, Jerry, it's always good. I must have been crazy. Hey, Jerry, uh, come on! That's my buddy. We're, we're taking off. Darling, I... I'll, I'll, I'll be back. We'll have this war licked in no time, honey. Sure you will. Oh, Jean, I, I love you. I... You wonderful dope. Goodbye. You've got to come back to me. A little kiss for luck. Here. Take our penny, the lucky penny. You, you keep it. For both of us. Give my regards to Wordsworth. <laughs> Suddenly you're airborne. As the plane wheels over the base, you see her down below, waving. And just like that, you know everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be swell. And that was a brief sojourn into romance with Fred Astaire in the Screen Director's Playhouse version of The Sky's the Limit. I do hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> we come to another piece of music then, one that I have been familiar with for my entire life. I first heard it as a child and it has followed me into adulthood. Yet it is a piece of music that I guarantee you will have never heard before. And that is because my dad wrote it. It's very odd. This is obviously a podcast about old Hollywood and classic movies and stars, and yet until my father told me last week that maybe I should play this song for you all, it never occurred to me to do so, even though it's about old Hollywood and classic movies and classic stars. He actually suggested that I should make it the theme tune to the Secret History of Hollywood podcast. Eh, not so sure about that. Now, I must just preface this with a short introduction. Firstly, this is not a recent song. It is a song from the 70s, and, and it was written and performed by my father's progressive rock band, Brave Men. I can't believe I'm actually going to play this. Anyway, thematically, it does fit, even if musically, the style may be a little jarring. And so, ladies and gentlemen, for one night only... Please give it up for brave men and their song, Hollywood.
key change. Brave Men with Hollywood. And just so you know, all my patrons will be getting a Brave Men EP free of charge containing three of their songs, which are very, very 70s rock-tacular. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> so there you have it. You've had musical performances today from Fred Astaire, Nat King Cole, and Brave Men. What a show, eh? Right, let's find out who's won the James Cagney Cablegram, shall we? Tons of entries from you guys. Thank you so much if you entered. I very much enjoyed this competition. Usually it's a simple case of receiving a correct answer and putting it into the hat, but this time it was genuinely interesting to hear about your favourite Cagney movies. So from the entries I received, I really liked the following entries. This one from David Gallagher, who chose Angels with Dirty Faces as his favourite Cagney movie. It introduced me, a 90s kid more accustomed to Spielberg and Lucas, to the world of Cagney and Bogart, writes David. It was the key to my enduring love of classic movies. When the world gets me a bit down, I can always give Cagney a call and soon we'll be shooting up a speakeasy, dancing with some dames and staying forever young wrapped in celluloid. Very poetic, sir, and a great choice. Quite a few people chose 1, 2, 3 as their favourite Cagney movie. Matt Schlee was among them, and he wrote, I've always been particularly partial to Billy Wilder, who isn't. And I think that this film in particular really shows off Wilder's diverse world views, given his Eastern European upbringing, but his life in the States. I love that you have Cagney as a pure American capitalist and his ongoing charming conflict with a young socialist. But both characters are purely sympathetic and delightful. It wasn't the sort of dichotomy you'd see a lot in early Hollywood films where the American would generally be painted as the unequivocal hero of the movie. Very true, Matt, and a great pick. This answer came from the very beautiful Miss Alice Wernermund Bodner, who chose Yankee Doodle Dandy as her favourite and says that My favourite Cagney film is Yankee Doodle Dandy for a reason that may sound disrespectful, but I promise you is not. I've watched old movies all my life and was a dancer for 15 years. Yankee Doodle Dandy offers so much of what many reviewers call Cagney's unique dance style. When I was younger, I had no tact. Okay, I still don't. And I would watch his movies wrapped and call anyone I could over to join me to gaze in awe and wonder at what I called his stick-up-the-butt dance style. Again, I promise you, this is meant only as a descriptor and not in any way negatively. 
I honestly don't think anyone else could duplicate his style. It was his and his alone. And that holds true for his dancing, his acting, and the honest way he chose to live his life. Again, very true. He really was a wonderful chap. Thank you, Alice. I got this one from Miss Nick Vickery, who answers, He created so many memorable scenes in great and, let's face it, not so good pot boilers that he starred in. Okay, despite I Ain't So Tough in The Public Enemy, the dancing and then the sizzling with Joan Blondell in Footlight Parade, the basketball scene with the dead-end kids in Angels With Dirty Faces and so many more, I'd have to go for the Roaring Twenties. I've watched it so many times, it's got everything in it. War, Prohibition, The Great Depression, Humor, Pathos, The Twenties Interiors, Cagney Gets to Kill, Bogart, and then has the longest, craziest death scene himself, Dying to Save Another. What a guy. Nick, you're so right. I actually had to cut the Roaring Twenties from Bullets and Blood, even though it's my personal favourite Cagney movie, and it killed me. What a movie and what a guy. My winner, though, chose as her favourite James Cagney movie, Footlight Parade, and she gives her reason as follows. Not only is it a great collaboration with his one-time Broadway bestie, Joan Blondell, for me, it is really the first indication of just how much Cagney has to offer Hollywood. His magnetic frenzy, so well used in his previous star turn in The Public Enemy, suits the character of a desperate show director perfectly. Footlight Parade pits Cagney against the best of the best, tap dancing with Ruby Keeler, physical comedy with Guy Kibbe and Hugh Herbert, and spitfire dialogue with Joan Blondell, and he still comes out on top. It's more of a look at the real Cagney than his gangster roles, allowing him room to be a funny, hyperactive, demanding, but ultimately kind man. Above all else, though, it's what cements him as a triple threat in himself, as opposed to his later feature as George M. Cohan in Yankee Doodle Dandy. Overall, there's a quality of freedom to his raw-edged performance as Chester Kent in Footlight Parade that I, among others, I hope, find truly hypnotizing. Miss Ashling Fulcher, I could not agree more, and your very considered opinion put me right into the movie as I was reading it. So you are the winner of the James Cagney Cablegram. Just drop me an email with your address details and I will get it sent out to you as quickly as possible. Thank you again to everyone who entered. As I say, I had a very nice time reading all your wonderful opinions of James Cagney and his movies. He really is so loved. I am sorry if I didn't read yours out. I would have needed an entire episode to do so, and fret not. If you want to win some classic movie goodness, then I have another competition for you to enter right now. Just lately, thanks to the Val Luton series I'm making for The Secret History of Hollywood, I have been reacquainting myself with an awful lot of RKO's B-movies, which I'm loving, by the way. So amazing to be dipping into all these superb quickie thrillers and mysteries. My personal favourite among these B-movie treasures is the Falcon series of movies, which began life with George Sanders in the title role. But he grew bored with it and handed the role off to his older brother Tom Conway, who'd always had a movie career that languished in the shadows of his fabulous younger brothers. Anyway, Tom Conway walked into the role and absolutely nailed it from the first moment. He completely outshone George Sanders and ended up making 10 Falcon movies, and each and every one of them is a brisky little treasure, full of mystery and wisecracks and flirting and that unmistakable RKO gallery of faces. By the way, the complete story of Tom Conway and George Sanders will be featuring in episode 5 of Shadows, which is going to be very epic 
episode indeed. And we'll tell you the life story of these two very interesting men, as well as the tale of the Falcon films. If you're a fan of the little historical side roads I tend to venture down when I make a secret history episode, then you will love this one. Anyway, some of the Falcon movies are available to view online, but there are several of them that are missing. Most notably, The Falcon Strikes Back, The Falcon's Adventure, The Falcon in Danger, and The Falcon's Alibi. Well, I have purchased those four films and will be giving them all to one lucky winner. All you have to do to enter is to either go to the Facebook page, which you can reach by clicking on the link in the show notes. When you get there, you must like the Facebook page, then find the Falcon competition post and like it and share it. Very easy. It's like three clicks. If you are not a Facebooker, you can click the Twitter entry link in the show notes. That will take you to the Attaboy Clarence Twitter thingy. You have to follow me and then you have to find the Falcon tweet, which should be pinned at the top. Just like that tweet and retweet it and you will be entered there too. And yes, if you enter via Facebook and Twitter, you will be entered into the competition twice. Winner will be drawn from the entrance live on next time's show. Well, after all that gubbins, it remains for me to simply say thank you for listening. I've loved spending every minute with you. If you would like more Attaboy Clarence, I'm also releasing the bonus patron show this week in which I'll be reviewing a very charming William Powell movie, as well as a film that features a tennis champion and the mother from hell. It is great. Also, as I say, patrons will be receiving three bonus songs for their sins, plus the usual emails, and I'm very pleased to say early access to the new Secret History of Hollywood episode, Shadows Part 3, Song of the Dead very exciting. I'm also in the process of converting the entire Alfred Hitchcock series that I released in 2015, all 20 hours of it, into one huge ebook which will be given exclusively to patrons only. If you're a patron, you can expect all of these bonuses in the coming weeks if you'd like to sign up to be a patron. Then listen on to the end of the show to find out how to do so. Until next time, then, thank you for listening. Take very good care of yourselves. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month. And in return, you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.